Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Always improving. I think that's how many of us hope life is. Always improving. Things getting better and better, life getting better and better. Little, little downs, but mostly ups. Or we wish it were that way, right? We want to see our lives getting better and better, just largely up with a few downs. And I think we often want our faith to look that way too, don't we? Okay, I've, I've come to faith, I trust in Jesus, and it's largely up from there with a few downs here and there. But we just want to grow in faith, trust God more, become more obedient, and largely be on an upward curve. But if we're honest with ourselves, is that the case? Probably not. If we're truly honest with ourselves and with God, it's probably just not that simple. It's probably a lot more complicated, isn't it? You still struggle with sins that you thought, you know, way, I'm way past that. Or one moment you think uh, that God feels so close to you and then you wonder if God cares about you at all. I think if we are all honest with our life and honest about our faith, it's just more complicated, isn't it? So this Lent... We are getting into talking about complicated faith and a complicated person of faith. That's what we started talking about on Wednesday and we'll keep going this morning. And the complicated man of faith we're going to look at this Lent is David. The lowly shepherd boy we'll meet today who would later slay a warrior giant and become king. But he led a very complicated life with God and with other people. He gets called a man after God's own heart, which sounds fantastic, and yet he has a lot of blood on his hands, murder, war, adultery, and conspiracy to to kill her husband, and he wasn't particularly a good father and, and forgave some enemies, yet was ruthlessly murdering others, except for all of the ways he was complicated, David got one thing right, God. David got God right. Many other kings did good and bad things, but they made other idols and worshipped those. David, no matter what, knew who the real God was, and he knew that God was loving and forgiving and gracious, and that it doesn't do any good to run from God. You might as well go right to God in joy and sorrow and in sin. So for all of these complications and failures and this very... uh, in-depth, complicated figure we're going to look at in David, the one thing he got right is the one thing you should get right, if nothing else, and that is knowing who God is. So we're going to get to know David a little bit this Lent, and today we're going to meet a young David, but I want to give you a little bit, I showed you on, if you were here Wednesday, a little bit of his timeline just so you can place some things. And when I started studying deeper into this, I was surprised by some things too. Just think 1000 B.C. David. You can remember that, 1,000 thousand years before Jesus, David. 1,040 to 90, 970 B.C., so he spans that, lives 70 years, but rough, 1,000 B.C., David. Age 16, this is where we're going to meet him today. He's anointed king, and then later becomes Saul's musician. What's the one story you might know about David, or the most famous story? Yes, that's next week, next Sunday. He's 17 when that happens, so just think. If you're only ever remembered for something you did when you're 17, there's a lot more to, your life, to some of your lives, right? We'll get that next week. In his 20s, he's largely a fugitive from Saul. We'll hear about Saul today as well. 
Age 30, he becomes the king of Judah, his tribe, one of the 12, but not all of them. And then at 37, he unites all of Israel and is king of all of Israel and is king for 40 years total. 51 is when the Bathsheba affair takes place and then aftermath after that. So a long time after Goliath, a long time after he's king. And then in his 60s, his sons, remember I said not the greatest father, sons want to kill each other and him. So uh, not the best parent in, in ways if your kids want to kill you and each other. And then at age 70, he dies. So that's David's timeline. And I'll show you that this slide uh, again another time as well so you can kind of place things. But today we're going to pick up the story when David is 16, where we first meet him in the Bible. And there's a verse that will just jump off the page at you uh, that Scott, thank you so well, talked about in the children's moment about God looking past the externals and looking at the heart. So here's how it happens. First uh, Samuel 16, you can follow along if you want in your reading in the bulletin or in if you brought your Bibles. It begins with Samuel coming to town, Samuel the great prophet. Samuel is old, but if you remember young Samuel, born to Hannah, who wasn't able to have children and had heartfelt prayers and said, God, please, and then God gave her a son, and then she dedicated that son to the Lord's work. That's Samuel. Samuel is now old, gray, you know, a beard like Old Testament prophets only could, and think Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. That's Samuel now. He comes to town, everybody knows, you know, everything parts, and everybody reveres Samuel the prophet. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So what's going on here? Who are some of these people? There's interesting things here. Saul was the king. So brief history. Moses leads them out of Egypt in the wilderness, not all the way to the promised land. He dies. Joshua leads them into the promised land. Things are okay for a little bit. And then there's a period, the book of Judges, with lots of bad leaders, lots of bad leaders, a few good leaders, but things kind of just spiral down. And then eventually God's people just say, we just want to be like everybody else. Will you give us a king? And God says, I will be your king. Don't worry about that. And they say, no, 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 we just want a king. So God says, fine. If that's what you want, I'll give you a king. And then God leads up a very king-looking guy named Saul. And Saul uh, has uh, deep character issues that lead to his downfall. And so God is, uh, through his disobedience, God is saying, nope, Saul's not the, the leader of the future now. I'm anointing a new one, which is we're going to meet. That's who, who David is. So that's where we are. And Samuel's obviously afraid of Saul. He says, he'll kill me if he finds out what I'm doing. So then they hatch this, God hatches this little plan, right? Well, I'll take a heifer and say you're going to sacrifice to me and then invite them to the sacrifice. And so it's kind of this kind of interesting uh, deception plan that God hatches for Samuel. So then we'll pick it up, uh, verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived at Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled when they met him. 
So the prophet comes, and everybody's afraid. Do you come in peace? Because when God gives messages for prophets, they're often hard messages for people. So, uh-oh, Samuel's here. Not necessarily good news. And he says, yes, I've come in peace. i come to sacrifice to the Lord, consecrate yourselves, and come with me. And then Jesse and his sons. So that's kind of the start, and here I'll put the rest up for you now. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw... Eliab, the son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. So uh, under a bit of the guise of, hey, we're going to sacrifice, Samuel really knows he's there to see one of Jesse's sons and anoint them to be king. And he sees Eliab and thinks, man, this guy, he's the oldest, so of course, natural. Uh, has Samuel bring, or is Jesse bring all of his sons out? Here they are. Here's the first one, Eliab, born leader, tall, built, strong, forceful, King material, Samuel sees it, Jesse sees it, we all know. Except, what does God say? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When you read that story, this verse just flies off the page at me and just hits you right there, doesn't it? We, could st- we won't stop there, but we could stop there forever, right, and just say, isn't that so true? How true of that written however many thousands of years ago is it just as true today? Are we so tempted to look at outward things, not inward things? Are we so tempted to be impressed by outward things, not by inward character and godliness? So there is Samuel, the prophet himself, even impressed, saying, surely this is the, he's come to Bethlehem, he's met Jesse's eight sons, here they are, the, the oldest, clearly he's the one, and God says no. Okay, next then. Jesse called, well, not number one, got to go to number two, okay? Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Okay, not the oldest, but he's got to be pretty good too. Striking, strong leader, handsome. If not Eliab, it's got to be Abinadab, sure. But then Samuel says again, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And then, okay, number three, Shema, have him pass by and look and pray. Okay, so you're, you know, it's like the NFL draft coming up, right? First draft picks out, second draft. You know, number three did pretty well at the combine, so he's no slouch. He's not the oldest, but, you know, okay, he'll be good. It's got to totally be him. But then Samuel says, no, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So verse 10, Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Which is like saying, am I in the right place? Is this, the sign said Bethlehem. This is... I am in the right place. You are Jesse, right? You showed me your ID when I, right? Did I mishear you, God? Did I get you wrong on this, God? What is going on? And then Jesse, this light bulb goes on in his head, and he says, oh, you know, uh, we forgot about the little guy. Oh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, we, now that you mention it, I do have another son, but he wasn't important enough to remember when Samuel says, bring me all of your sons. But, oh, yeah, uh, you know, he's, He's the youngest. He's, he's out tending the sheep. You know, the, clearly the little kid brother. And Samuel says, well, well, go get him. We're not going anywhere until he comes. 
So that's 11. Jesse says, are these all the sons you have? Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, the youngest. Tending the sheep. Well, go get him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And you could hear a pin drop and see their jaws drop, right? And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. His name's not mentioned until now. He's the youngest. He's, in Hebrew, the little runt, almost pejorative term, kid. And his name's not mentioned until now, but his name gets mentioned 600 times in the Old Testament, 60 more in the New. We finally meet David. And then Samuel went back home. How often do you and I judge something outward? And it can be the way somebody dresses, out-of-style clothing, or they look sloppy, and you make a, a, a judgment of them in your mind, or, or they're unshaven, or, or if, if somebody has a bunch of letters before or after their name, you're impressed by them. They must be important. Or how often are we impressed by somebody's job, or position, or degree, or salary, or appearance, or, instead of being impressed by their character? by their kindness, by their patience, by their humility, by the way they treat other people? Or how often do we flip it on ourselves and, and project an image of ourselves that is incompatible with what's really going on inside? How often do we try to keep up appearances, try to look good and pretend like things are going well when they're not? How often do we say, oh, yep, things are fine, doing well, when inside you're hurting or dying, or, or lying. God is not fooled. On that day when David was anointed to be the future king of Israel in secret, everyone else was fooled. Jesse, he didn't even remember to call David when Samuel said, bring me all of your sons. That's how forgettable David was to him. Samuel was fooled looking at, looking at the oldest, Eliab. Looks great. Got seven other ones. It's got to be one of them. We're in good shape. The future of Israel is good. But one by one, God said, no, no, no. And it gets comical. You can imagine seven times this happening, right? Nope. And then God chooses the one that's not even there that they forgot to even ask to come. The youngest, the lowliest, the forgotten, the unnamed one, the shepherd, to lead his people. You see, God has a way of choosing the little one, the unnamed, the youngest, the forgotten, not the powerful or the popular one. And this happens over and over throughout the Bible. From the beginning, really, God chooses Abel over Cain. He chooses Isaac over Ishmael. He chooses Jacob over Esau. And then when God sends his son, Jesus who came to, to save David and you and me. He is born in that same lowly backwater town as David, Bethlehem. But he's born not to rich people in a palace, but born to a young woman and a blue-collar day laborer. And he's mostly forgotten and unknown for much of his life. Yet he is God's true son, and he is the king who reigns on the throne of the universe forever and ever. 
So I want to give you two application thoughts to kind of pull this together and wrap this up. And the first is this. We already talked about it a bit. But God sees your heart towards him. As much as we want to, you can't hide. As much as we want, we can maybe fool other people, can't fool God. God sees. God sees right through me and right through you. And so the stuff that we want to hide from other people, maybe even try to hide from yourself, God sees it. And that can be frightening. But here's the other thing. God sees your heart towards him, and he loves you. That's the good news. God looks at you with those loving eyes that bled and died for you. God sees your heart towards him, and he loves you. God loves you even when he knows you. You see, God knows you best. You can't hide anything from you. He knows you best, and yet he loves you most. Jesus didn't die for you because you deserve God's kindness. He died for you because God is love. As Jesus hung on the cross, two criminals were killed next to him with him, and they were admitted that they were getting what they deserved. So earlier in the day, they're insulting Jesus. But then later in the day, one of these guys believes in him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus looked past everything in that guy's life, all of the externals that everybody knew and everybody could see, and he saw his heart. And he saw his heart that trusted him. And what does Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's God's love extended to you too. And when God's love for you comes through all of the stuff we try to hide or try to mask, the blood of Jesus begins to melt your hard heart and his love will soften you and soften that pride into humility and Jesus gives you a new heart. So God sees your heart towards him and he loves you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. God then sees your heart towards others and you can trust him. You see, when God gives you a new heart, you start to show that love to other people. You just can't help it. You will treat others with respect and kindness because of what Jesus has done for you. You will want to do God's will. You will want to live out God's will. You will start to love your neighbor as yourself, no matter where they're from or what they look like or whether they deserve your love or not. And so in, in business dealings and finances and the way you treat your neighbors and people, you'll act with honesty and integrity and your word will be truthful and trustworthy and you'll worry less about your public image and be more concerned about doing what's right. And God will see that too. God sees your heart towards others and you can just trust him. You can trust God. You can do the right thing and trust God. You don't have to worry about defending yourself or justifying yourself or making sure that, that people know that, that you were right and you did the right thing. God sees it. God sees through all the other stuff. He sees your heart towards others, and you can trust God. God sees your heart towards Him, and He loves you. And God sees your heart towards others, and you can trust Him. Amen.